0: Welcome to Achievements and Strategies. I'm Brian Franklin. My guest today is Ambassador Kurt Wagner, Miami music fan. Straight out of the 305. Thank you to our sponsor, Amazeco, who does home and office supplies that brighten up your day, uh, including uh, this uh, tape dispenser. Kirk, as you can see, it it is a, a monkey on a banana. And it claps the symbols as you pull the tape, and you can find that at on Amazon, uh, and just look up Amazeko, A M A Z E K O, and thank you to them for sponsoring. Uh, Kirk, um, you have you have had quite the wild ride over the last uh, when, gosh, I mean, really, uh, it, it predated Obama, but um, but certainly from 2007, uh, your life has is, is taken off uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, uh let's let's talk first talk about uh you know we'll, we'll kind of start with the uh the ambassador thing and obama and then maybe go backwards and get to your you know where get to your uh beginnings in in canada um and 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 we'll have to detour a little bit and talk about letterkenny if you haven't seen it uh, on hulu it's no. yeah i have to I, i'm going to have to insist you 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 check it out um so I met you uh, I think in two it was somewhere towards the end of 2007 it was the first week that um, Obama Senator Obama then uh, got secret service protection um, he had just started Secret service protection and and our friend Ashley Walker calls me up and and uh, and says hey would you be interested in driving in the motorcade and I'm like they have civilian drivers in the motorcade they' like Yeah, well, just one in this case. It was, you know, it's going to be, you know, you if you're interested. And I guess she heard I had a minivan at the time. And Mm -hmm. I had had my wife's Dodge Caravan. And so, uh, I, you know, I, sure, you know, of course. So I go there, you know, Secret Service gives you the pin. And they, you know, they check out your car and this, that, and the other. And then then you and and Senator Obama and I believe um, it was Marvin uh um and a few others it was a, a, a oh a robert gibbs i think was on the was with with them and and they all like the brain trust i can't remember if Rob was there or not um because there was two two different times but one of them the first one we pile into this thing and next thing you know secret service is just they just say just follow you know follow uh obama's uh, vehicle and they just start driving like bad out of hell right <laughs> bad, bad out of hell and i'm like and you know i'm not a trained driver and I'm certainly not a trained driver in a in a damn dodge caravan right so you know we're flying around the streets It was wet out i'm literally like fishtailing this this stupid dodge caravan around you know and it was the and all i could think of the whole time is like like don't hit the future president of the United States. Don't hit the future president of the United States. You know, and um, and we get to you know, but it, but I remember me and you in a in a like a hallway in one of these uh, one of these fundraisers, and you were and, and you were super super cool and nice, and um, but tell me about this. How how did this how did you wind up in this machine? I mean, I know you started with Kerry folks, right? Or you you were doing fundraising for Kerry at one point. But how did this start? And like, and how did you wind up in Miami, chased getting chased around, uh, you know street to street
1: well well first off thank you for having me brian it's it's so good to see your face um you know we do go back a long way i you know i am the forrest gump of florida politics Uh, (laughs) uh, i I turn up in these weird situations and one of the questions i i get a lot particularly we talk to college or high school kids as well how do you become an ambassador and i think the uh the, the pat answer i have which i believe with all my heart is you don't Uh, You don't have a plan for that, but I will tell you that if you get involved in things that are bigger than yourself, number one, you'll meet fascinating people um, that will expand your horizons. And you know. secondly, you just find yourself in weird situations. And so I came down here for law school in 1990, and when I started practicing in 93, and I moved to Florida not knowing anyone south of Washington, D.C. I went to college in upstate New York at a small Christian college. Uh, called Roberts Westland College. And um, I came down here and I got involved doing insurance litigation after Hurricane Andrew. And the reason I'm giving you that backstory is because I got involved in the Florida Trial Lawyers. At the time it was called the Academy of Florida Trial Lawyers. It's now called the Florida Justice Association. And what I found was just incredibly committed people to their communities, obviously lawyers, lawyers, like if you wanted to learn how to really uh, represent folks—that's what you do. But I also saw these folks that were very involved um, in the political machine. Um, and while a lot of people, I think, derisively talk about folks who are involved in politics as if it's only for um, self-interest, most of these folks weren't. And so I had this weird practice of law. I wasn't a tort lawyer. I didn't do car crash cases. I didn't do med mal. I was like this nerd lawyer. But I found. Um, a team really to help. And it was bipartisan. I remember back in either 94 or 96, knocking on doors for uh, in a Republican uh, state Senate race Hmm. uh, in a primary um, of someone who was just uh, better on the issues. And it was going to be a Republican seat, for example. And then I eventually in 98, um, I was involved through the trial lawyers in the Buddy McKay campaign. And It was clear that he was going to get crushed. Um, And the trial lawyers just kept going in. And I was like, listen, man, I mean, I love him, but it's not going to happen. Um, But then what happened was the trial lawyers essentially stayed out of the 2000 presidential election until very, very late.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I said, you know what? Civil justice and access to the courts and, you know, a little guy having uh, a right a right to, to fight you know, a global corporation is one of the top 10 reasons I'm a Democrat, but it's not the top five. And so I got very involved in the Gore campaign, uh, ended up being a baby Gore lawyer. Um, after that, I uh, ended up helping Janet Reno when she ran for governor. And uh, then I fell into the John Kerry world. Mm-hmm. And I was his deputy finance chair for the primary and became the Florida finance chairman of the DNC when we became the nominate nomination nominee the irony was um i was still i I didn't i didn't even have my green card at that point i had my green card excuse me i didn't have my citizenship so i didn't get my citizenship until august of 2004 so i was the florida finance chairman of the dnc unable to uh vote for john Kerry in the primary but i did vote for him in the general and once you do that you know it's like one of the stops at epcot everyone calls you after that yeah so and i've done it you know i've helped out lots of senate candidates and house candidates i've done a couple of state state races but really uh, my heart and my interests are, are at the federal level and for for a variety of reasons and i got to know now you know now president obama because he gave the speech at the Con- john kerry's convention in 2004 and got to know him in 05 and 06 because he would come down to florida we had a bunch of races in florida congressional races governor's race with jim davis and he was the biggest draw in the democratic party we became friends
0: yeah that that speech was was um obviously critical to his career i mean i, I at the time i was actually teaching ap government uh at, at a high school in florida and i i would teach that speech i would pull that up and just as as, as an example of what what it could be you know the, one of the great right. speeches in in american political history in my opinion um mm-hmm. so so you wind up uh part of the obama team um and and you know i was i was peripherally in, involved because i was working with robert wexler congressman robert wexler at the time and he was you know the uh, i don't remember what the title was but it was essentially the chief like jewish he was, sur- campaign chairman. He was he the was, campaign chairman i was yeah. the finance chairman and right. he was the campaign chairman okay great um yeah but he was also like the 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 chief surrogate for like every synagogue and you know like he like he was the guy that was trying to convince um, uh, everybody uh, else, the truth, which is that he wasn't, a, uh, you know, a, a terrorist, basically. <laughs> like that, the, the rumor mill, uh, you know, the the machine on the public on the Republican side was brutal to to uh, uh, to. The well, uh, let, me, let me
1: let me let me check you there, Brian. It wasn't okay. just on the uh, Republican side. I mean, I, I think that's that, right. Uh, there was some some. I mean, listen, primaries primaries are
0: rough, right? Right, and that was that's right. You know, my memory is was... fading. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and it took a long time. It took a long time for like my family to forgive some some people as part of the, of the Clinton machine for for some of the things they were spreading around. But but whatever, uh, you know, bygones. And so um, so tell me about okay. So obviously he wins Florida. He wins Florida twice actually, and uh, for his re-election, a great feat. But um, but he wins Florida at, at what point in this? In, in the campaign, it's, it's 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 understood that many people that work on the campaigns wind up in in the in government in some form or fashion. A lot of people do. That's just what happens. Um, at what point, either in the campaign or after he gets elected, are you seriously thinking, "Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not just going back to to Wagner Law. I'm, I'm I'm going to be working in government in some form or fashion, um, either on committees or 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 later on, you know, when you're considered to be an ambassador. How does this work?"
1: Well, it's funny because, you know, each moment in time in all of our lives um, call for for different decisions. And so on Election Day for John Kerry, for example, I don't know if you remember the fiasco that happened with exit polling, but I I was flying to Boston with some friends uh, from here for election night. And we got all these numbers and it looked like John Kerry was just going to crush it. Mm. And at the time, I think I was thirty two and didn't have kids um and was you know thinking wow well if he wins maybe i should do something fast forward to 2008 and then 2009 i was not in a place in my life where i could afford to take a government salary despite wanting to help out and i think the biggest misnomer is that just being someone who writes a check or volunteers in a campaign at a high level, it's an automatic. It's not. I think that when you go through a campaign with someone, and you know this, Brian, the relationships that you build and the trust that you, you build across the campaign and you know, from the people that are around the president who want to make sure that they've got people that they can count on that are smart, that are um, they're able to keep, keep counsel and, and you know, keep things to themselves. Um. So when we won the first time, and, and I, I would highlight for your listeners, I mean, Barack Obama is the first Democrat to win Florida twice since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So uh, it wasn't just unusual. Uh, it was wow. Mm. Um, and after we won the second time, I, I just wasn't in a position to, to go full time. I was honored to serve in a couple of uh, roles uh, with the uh, Import-Export Bank, mm-hmm. Export-Import Bank, actually. Uh, first on sub-Saharan Africa and then on the full advisory board and help with um, getting the message out of one of the priorities in the first term, which was the national export initiative, which was trying to help small businesses export overseas to create jobs here. Um, But after we won the second time, I was at a different place in my life. And so I let the White House know that, and I believe the exact quote I said to Alyssa Bostromonica, who was the deputy chief of staff at the time, I said, listen, being helpful to a campaign, I don't think qualifies you for jack shit, but you guys know me. And if you think that I could be someone um, that would be helpful to to the government, I would like to do it. I'd like to consider it. Mm-hmm. And so that started the conversation.
0: And, and um, what? so when did you um, find out that you were or how did you find out that you were being considered uh for an ambassadorship or or and and was there a choice like was there any kind of like here are the different things that you could possibly do which one appeals to you or did or did they just drop hey this is what we need you know can you do it
1: well i i'll, I'll say i was a little bit um i don't know picky is the right word but You know, I had my own law firm here for 16 years. My wife had her own law firm here that she had just started a few years before that and was really starting to do well. Mm -hmm. I was 43 at the time, and I don't come from wealth. I'm the first person in my family to go uh, to finish college, let alone law school. Um, And so I knew that I wanted to, well, what I said to the White House directly was, listen, I don't have an interest going to Europe because I don't know what a bilateral ambassador does in the context of EU and NATO. I said, I live in Miami, I don't golf. So sending, and I'm 43, so sending me to Costa Rica or Belize doesn't do anything for anybody. I said, I want to go someplace where I'm going to have to work hard. That's important to the president um, and I can learn. Um, And so there was a few countries mentioned. Um, Some were, um, very tough but like they got the joke they were like okay we can trust this guy he's going to work hard and, and you know I just believe in politics you know I can be as like, arrogant as the next guy when it comes to things that are in my very small narrow um, window of experience but I think my best skills I know what I don't know and and I think that you know, in politics, in government, and life, frankly, humility is is lacked in abundance. And I and I try and I and I try and lead that way, whether it's a campaign or when I went to the, the embassy. So they mentioned Singapore and and a couple of others. We said yes, we'd go to a couple of them. There was one that we said no to, just because yeah. I think that uh, my wife and I would have been a diplomatic incident waiting to happen. <laughs> um, but uh, we felt very very fortunate to even be considered. Yeah. And then you go through the process, which isn't easy. Well,
0: um, before we get to that, though, I mean, did I mean, this was after you kind of knew that ambassadorship was on the table, but but yeah. but was there other roles in government that were floated, or or was this just like, hey, we we know, I mean, did did you indicate to them this is the kind of job I'd be most interested in, and,
1: and yeah, I mean, so so I had always thought that my personality, I've got some rough edges, as you know, um, <laughs> that that, um, that that wouldn't really be suited for this job. Yeah, And um, we were visiting my friend, Charlie Rifkin, who was ambassador to France, And he had told me this before, but he made the mistake of saying this, this conversation in front of my wife, where he said, Kirk, you're exactly the kind of person that needs to be in there. You'll respect, you'll be wowed by the people you get to work with. And you'll know that your job is to help them achieve their goals. Um, and, you know, I'll fast forward just a second just to give you a sense of it, right? Like. I went in, when I was going through my interviews or my preparation for the job, um, there, was the, there was an acting depu- deputy, uh, director general of the, um, of the State Department, 45 years in the State Department. I, I'm blanking on his name. Old guy, been around the block. And he said to me, and I'd, already, I'd already prepared like hell for this job. Um, and he says, Ambassador, what are your three priorities? And I, I said to him, I said, listen, that's the mistake you make with people like me. You know, I, I, I've never even walked in to, you know, the State Department for any meaningful way until I started these jobs. You know, when you ask someone like me what my priorities are, then you also make you, you kind of make us feel like we have to make them up. And so you sometimes get folks who have priorities that really want, if they spent some time and got to post and talk to people who were there, yeah. they wouldn't be your priorities. But then you're kind of locked in. So I said, my priorities are what the White House tells me what my priorities are and what the staff on the ground says my priorities are. And uh, he was very kind. He said that was one of the better answers he's ever received on that. But that's how I approached the job. My embassy was the second most requested in the world for our diplomats. Wow. So I literally was the least qualified person in the building every day. Yeah. <laughs> I had all these pictures of me and President Obama and yeah. Biden, John Kerry and all that. So I could get a meeting with anybody. But if they didn't you know, give me a a good memo and boil it down to talking points and really use me as a sock puppet. I don't think I could have gone in there at least that first year.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you, I mean, you had been supporting campaigns for a long time. Um, were you, um, were you someone, I mean if you find yourself in this job where now you have these talking points and now they're, they're being fed to you as opposed to you being you part of the machine that feeds it to somebody else. Uh, was that an easy transition for you? Uh, no. Uh,
1: and in fact, it's funny you say that because one of my uh, one of my very first um, events I did was a California wine tasting. And, and one of the uh, one of the sections in the embassy is the uh, people don't realize this, that the Department of Agriculture has foreign diplomats as well. It's called the Foreign Agricultural Services. Mm-hmm. So helps the beef industry, the milk industry, you know, all of it, but also the wine industry. And so we go to this, you know, ballroom with a bunch of California wines, and they're, you know, they're trying to get market entry in Asia because we're we get our butts kicked a little bit by Australia there, and we yeah. shouldn't, because our wine's better. Um, and I'm lingering too long, I guess, at one of the booths. And and I have, you know, a staff person like, Ambassador, we really have to move on to the next one. And I was like, and I told my wife I was like, I knew what they were doing. I've done that to candidates for 25 years. <laughs> I'm now that guy? I'm
0: not, I am yeah, You're that hand. guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, you know, and the beauty of it, I would think that if, if I had some experience in some of these sections, maybe I would have micromanaged, mm-hmm. um, but because I really was blown away by the people I got to work with from the military to commerce to State Department, clearly. Um, to the law enforcement folks, you know, yeah. home security, all that. These people are incredible Americans. Yeah. And they're probably making about 25% of what they could have made in the private sector. Um, and I say this all the time, right? We honor our men and women in the military, and we should. But nine times out of 10, we send in people in pinstripe suits, not guns and boots. And, you know, only once that I can recall, President Obama referenced and our diplomats. Um, yeah. Uh, in the State of the Union, and I can tell you that folks in my embassy had a little bit of a bounce in their chest and or in their step. And you know they've been beaten up for you know at least a decade, if not longer, about this faceless bureaucracy. And now yeah. it's each state. These are regular folks with regular families that are that, that slept them all over the
0: world. I, yeah, I feel the same way about uh, you know uh, congressional staffers. I mean the, the 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 embassy folks are a different level because they're. They're literally taken out of country and whatnot, but but um, but you know a lot of those like the congressional staffers, for example. They, I mean, they get they get hammered every day with work and you know and 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 complaints and everybody. You know, it's just it's a it's always a problem. So um, when you're so you, you you decide on Singapore or they decide, you know, it's chosen as a as a group effort here. Um, how much did you know about Singapore? I mean, did you? What do you do? I mean, do you go? you go back and go get one of the uh almanacs and you know like find an almanac and, and start diving like, how do you prepare to walk into uh, a country like that as the ambassador um versus even i mean I, were, were you, had you even been there before no no and in fact the irony is so i thought i was going to go to
1: africa mm-hmm. um it was my area of study did my capstone in a college all that um and so as a surprise to my wife, the Christmas of, I guess, 2012, I surprised her with a trip to Bali. And the irony was, well, we're not going to see Asia for the next four years, so let's do it now. <laughs> In the intervening time, I found out that that Singapore would be where I was going if I was lucky enough to be confirmed. and. Bali is literally a two hour flight from Singapore Mm. and I was absolutely precluded from setting foot on property because it would have looked presumptuous to the Senate that I was there checking it out. Gotcha. So, so I couldn't go. Um, that's number one, number two, I had an unfair advantage that I don't know anybody who has served as ambassador had, and that is um, ambassador Steve Green from Miami served at the end of the Clinton administration as ambassador to Singapore, continuing well into the Bush administration, actually, and helped uh, really get the uh, Singapore U.S. free trade agreement passed. Um, and Steve, I'd known through the campaigns, um, and I, I found myself not just a mentor, but he and his wife, um, you know, just still maintain their relationships in singapore mm-hmm. opened so many doors for me um yes you know the time had changed and now we have tpp and south china sea and other issues yeah um, but any success that i was able to have and crystal as well my wife yeah. was was really largely uh due to having a a guide and a mentor and just a friend mm-hmm. for it so you know, you know, I used to say so, to my other friends who were serving in different countries, you know, you don't have a Steve and I have a Steve. Yeah.
0: So you were you were able to get briefed on a lot of what y- you were walking into uh, through. State well, America. yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't let me let me go a little further too, Brian.
1: I mean, I, you know, I was probably one of two or three people that were appointed. Uh, to serve in the second term as ambassadors that were known for their politics, not their policy, right? So I would say, you know, Patrick Gaspard who went to South Africa was the political director in the White House and then went to the DNC as political director or executive director. Um, Rufus Gifford uh, went to uh, Denmark and he was the national finance director for the campaign. So I knew that people would be more skeptical of me Uh, being always a trial lawyer and you know what does he know now obviously i have a i have a background that a lot of people didn't know about but on paper Mm -hmm. um i had to prove uh that i was worthy of this appointment and it was a huge responsibility i felt Mm -hmm. um and i also felt if something screwed up i'd be the first person in the senate called up to excoriate if if uh if i got there and something happened yeah so what the state department does or the government does is they they pay for two trips to Washington to learn about uh, being an ambassador. And one is to attend ambassador school. Um,
0: really? I knew that,
1: was, that wasn't going to be enough for me. And so on my own dime, um, I went I went to D.C. 12 of, out of 14 weeks in a row. And I'd usually go first thing on a Monday morning, first plane to D.C., um, stay Tuesday night and come back Tuesday evening, Um or, or something like that. Like I'd be there for one night
0: Yeah.
1: and I would go in and you have someone um, in the state department who's your desk officer that they, that Singapore is one of the countries that they, if not the country that they are responsible for. Uh-huh. And they're kind of your lifeline back into the state department when you're at embassy. Okay. And uh, just a phenomenal guy, Phil Loosely, still a friend. Uh, I think the world of him, yeah. but I would come in there and I would go, okay, Phil, I'll be there. Uh, who do I meet today? And so I was going around door to door, walking in people's offices that even had a little bit of touch yeah. on Singapore because I'd exhausted pretty quickly the normal people you meet with. And this poor son of a bitch just had to find time for me because <laughs> you know, if I become ambassador, that's kind of a big deal there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I went out of my way to be overprepared um, and that helped me in my confirmation process. And clearly um, allowed me to to hit the ground running when I got to uh, Singapore.
0: Did you uh, did Crystal and, and your kids join you uh, um, uh, immediately, or was that something that that happened? Like you go there and, and kind of f- figure it out and then, and then well bring the family. No, uh,
1: my wife was was three weeks behind me. We did, we had our children while we were in Singapore. So uh, my son uh, with my first wife came and visited, spent the summers there, but sadly was not there full time. Um, he was seven. And that's one of the reasons that it was very hard for me to decide whether or not I was actually going to serve. And one of the reasons that I didn't even consider it uh, yeah. in the first term. Um, and, you know, you still, it, it. and and it's also one of the reasons I worked as hard as I did in the job, right? Yeah. I mean, I think people think it's a cocktail party job, and I guess it can be. But if I was going to endure the cost of not being with my son on a daily basis, then by God, I was going to make it worth my time. Yeah. I was going to butt my ass. Yeah. that. You know and and also, you know, people would ask me every day almost, what are you going to do after the ambassadorship? And my answer was always the same, which is I have no idea, but I think it'll be du- directly proportional to how much how well I do in the job and how much I learn. Yeah, and I think true. So, and also when you have a job which has a finish line, you know, you're like I can work a hundred hours a week, which is not an exaggeration. I can work a hundred hours a week when I know there's a stop date and then I know that I can you know hibernate for a few weeks and get my legs under me. Was it 100% so,
0: certain that you like if um if if uh Hillary had won in in uh, 2016 was there a chance that you would have stayed or was it just a kind of a given that this is this ends on you know in 2017 for you no matter what? Oh, uh, we were we were we were done. <clears throat> we were done. Um and
1: you know, I think that had well, frankly, even in Republican administrations, generally speaking, they allow the ambassadors, some, some as late as May, to let your kids finish school. Yeah. Um, this was really unusual in the sense that uh, they said we had to be out by the time he, that Trump took the oath. Um, we had plane tickets uh, to come back on the Monday, I guess, Sunday night, Singapore time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were traveling with a three-year-old and a six-month-old and um we said listen w- just give us two more days um we won't speak on behalf of the new administration you can take off payroll whatever and they said no you had to be out and it extended our flight time by 12 hours with a three a six month old and a three-year-old so um Fucking we didn't no. start off on good <laughs> footing uh, thinking about the uh, the trump administration based yeah. on that. yeah and Shocking. Shocking. And, 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 Shocking. You know, I, we had like a <laughs> seven hour layover in LAX yeah. with
0: children. I mean, my wife was cussing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Shocking yeah. that they treated. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to I, we'll talk about the Trump, the changes in, in the Trump administration. I won't, won't get your thoughts on that. But so when you got to so when you got to Singapore and now you're in this new job, this crazy new job, you. Um, what what were some of the things that surprised you about the job itself like you had been you went to ambassador school you talked to ambassadors but when you got on the ground what was what what were some of the things that um either in the what the role that you had to play or the challenges that you faced um uh, that that kind of shocked you well <clears throat> i
1: mean every day was was new um you know the the authority that that ambassadors have, because you are the personal representative of the president of the United States, is something that doesn't really click in until you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, there were things that only I could sign off on of before you know members of my embassy did things. Mm-hmm. Um, I outranked every single cabinet secretary. So when John Kerry would come out, um, his security, so in an armored car. The, the seat behind the passenger side is where the principal is supposed to stay because you have your security guard there or your security person and you're behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, listen, I, I I get the role I have, but I'm still Kirk Wagger, right? Yeah. It's John, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, but it, it baffled me the first time that um, he came out and his security person talked to my security person and said, Ambassador, would it be okay if the, if the secretary sits in that seat and you sit next to him but on the other side of where you're? near? I was like, uh, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, um, but I used to mess with John all the time. I was like, just to be clear, I report through, not to you. Are we are we cool? Are we cool? <laughs> uh, you know. uh, but you know, I think that was uh, that was one thing. I think I think what disappointed me. Uh, the most was the experience that many of these diplomats and government people, and frankly, externally uh, in the community, had had with past ambassadors. Uh, not not just in Singapore, but in their tours. And yeah. you know, listen. At the end of the day, I'm from rural Canada. I wasn't joking. I do feel like Forrest Gump every day when I'm know yeah these weird things even now um, but you know my wife went would go to the uh, the diplomatic spouses event and you know these people from around the world are fascinating they've lived all over I mean if they don't excite you then you're just not someone who's intellectually curious and my wife was the first spouse to have attended those in um, in in 11 years
0: yeah. Uh, yeah hold on can yeah we can pause yeah okay hold on a second okay yeah. hey, i i got
1: a i got a podcast going here yeah, I to, kind
0: of
1: can you do it over there i'm i'm on a podcast a meeting okay you got it
0: okay. sorry brother no problem no problem they were
1: about to, were about to start heavy construction outside of, <laughs> Oh good. But All right. but what I what I was saying about, you know, it, it's disappointing when you get people saying, We can't believe believe how approachable you are. Yeah. We can't believe how down to earth you are. It's like isn't that like a minimum? Yeah. Right? Like like you know, you talk about one of the stories that's out lately is about the uh, the, the attrition rate of uh, people of color in the State Department. They hire well, but they don't stay stay as long as, um, frankly, uh, people who look like us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, well, my theme for my time uh, as ambassador was, there are five things that make America, was it five or four, I'll, I'll, we'll see, that, that make America different from our competitor countries. And that's innovation, diversity, creativity and fun 4 things. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and you know, the one thing that makes America special is the fact that we have people from, I I don't, I, I, there's a, there's a citizen, there's someone from every other country in the world that lives here. Mm -hmm. Right. And every organization, whether it's our government, our educational institutions, our large, large corporations, that is their benefit right so if you're doing business in vietnam or Colombia or poland chances are there's someone in your organization that has a familial tie maybe or certainly a cultural understanding right and that's different than you know an indian company or a french company or a german company those folks are mostly um very similar and our diversity is our strength and I can tell you, um, our diplomats and particularly our military shows that part of America, right? Yeah. Like we would have aircraft carriers come in a few times a year, and that's like thirty eight hundred people uh, on a floating city, um, and they look like America. You know, women in leadership, people of color, um, uh, the first Vietnamese person to ever um, uh, command a ship that went into Vietnam. Uh, with someone I worked with, HB Lee? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that, that's what. Yeah, that, that's we are. You know, we weren't set up to be. You know, the center of the wheel on a global economy or a global world. It happened by accident, but that's what happened. Yeah, uh, and it's not just you know mm-hmm. that that all the money goes through Swift accounts and all that. It's more than that. Um, so. That's something that I I really wish that Americans understood better, that our diversity is if that's what makes America exceptional.
0: Is is Singapore, um, I mean, I I understand it as a financial hub and and as a uh, technologically advanced city. I mean, I've I've read, read at least that much, but. Um, i don't i don't know much about its diversity um i would imagine that there's a lot of people from other countries uh, that from a business standpoint but um but it, is it a, is it a diverse place i mean is it a place that's used to um people of color for example and and you know and, and was that an it was that um you know an issue for you and Chris, crystal at all um going in uh, well it's, oh it's I, I, you know i don't
1: no, no.
0: Okay. Um, Singapore is
1: 75% ethnic Chinese, mm-hmm. um, but mostly southern Chinese. Um, so um, there are people who emigrated out of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 14% Malay Muslim and about 9% Tamil Indian, southern, southern India. Um, and then you have, you know, there's two types of people who think about Singapore if they think about it at all those who think of it as a cute little country of five and a half million people, or those who I think get the joke, who see it really at least the capital of the 10 countries of Southeast Asia, which is called ASEAN, um, and that's 650 million people, where you've got um, you know, 65% under 40 years old, uh, I think 50% under 25, wow. um, where it's dynamic. And then Singapore is also the largest foreign direct investor into China, Indonesia and India. Um, so I often say that I don't know of another city in the world that touches the level of economy opportunity as Singapore, because you've got Australia, and New Zealand there. Obviously, they're engaged with China obviously india and also to a lesser extent but becoming more a lot of stuff happens in the middle east and at least north africa mm-hmm. from there uh, and what they were able to do was make sure that if there's a hint of corruption people pay dearly for it um, and so i and i used to tell you know their ministers who say, well you know we're a small country don't make anything so you know that your ability to export your rule of law is worth more than ten thousand oil fields huh. and i believe that interesting um and mm-hmm. so when our companies for example do business in a vietnam they generally do it with a singaporean entity the financing there the legal is there yeah. so it lowers the risk for our businesses doing business in vietnam or in indonesia or or in india um but it's good for that country because I guess the economic development and the jobs, um, but it's also good for our companies that allows them to spread their their footprint globally. Does,
0: does, does their um, strict adherence to law and the rule of law, has, that, that must've created some uncomfortable situations when Americans who um, like to push boundaries sometimes, uh, uh, you know, perhaps broke Singaporean law, uh, or you know, and expected some kind of justice on 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 our part to intervene. What I mean was that yeah. a, was that a, I mean, a common <laughs> problem?
1: Everyone everyone uh, of a certain age remembers the Michael Fay case, where um, there was this uh, privileged kid. And he was uh, who had lived in Singapore a very long time, so knew the rules. Um, I defaced. Uh, some government buildings with, I think it was anti anti government graffiti, but it was graffiti. Mm-hmm. And you know, the story goes from people who were around at the time that it may have it may have been uh, possible to have made it less of a global story, but then President Clinton, you know, to his credit, fighting for a citizen called their punishment which is a painting which is brutal yeah um, barbaric and you know if you're a sovereign nation and you've got the united states denigrating you from the podium at the white house at that point i think you say piss off yeah you know this this is how we organize our society yeah um you know uh singapore is a former british colony adheres very closely to uh, British common law, but has their own, you know, takes on that. And, but I mean, people like, Oh, you you know, you get thrown in jail for chewing gum. No, uh, it's hard to buy gum there because, um, you go around to other cities in Southeast Asia, you see gum everywhere and their leadership decided that they did not want to have that. So they banned, they banned gum, gum mostly. Um, but you know, if you get caught spitting it out, you'll probably get a $200 ticket, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that people misunderstand about Singapore is at least up until the more recent generation or two, this was a social contract that Singaporeans, um, by an overwhelming majority, accepted. Yeah. Right. And so you asked what I read when I first got there. Well, the founder of, of Singapore is one of the more historic figures of the last hundred years, a man named Lee Kuan Yew. He was a, uh, and he founded the country. They got essentially got kicked out of Malaysia mm-hmm. um, because uh, Singapore had special status in this Muslim world because it was mostly ethnic Chinese, um, and Malaysia kicked them out, assuming they would crawl back on Malaysia's terms. Now I'm giving you the Singaporean perspective. Sure. Malaysia yeah. has a different one. And uh, the first prime minister Lee, because his son is currently prime minister now, the first prime minister Lee said, "We're going to make this work." Mm-hmm. Over the first 25 years of Singapore's existence, he was the prime minister. He was a uh, Cambridge-educated lawyer, as was his wife. Um, but he wrote a book, which is only about 1,000 pages, but I read it. Uh, and it, it's called From Third World to First World. And so the, the shorthand is, this, is a, this was a sleepy fishing village, which is a little bit hyperbolic, um, to this global power. Um, But I do think, you know, I think one of the reasons that Crystal and I were so comfortable there, getting back to your earlier question, is like Miami, it's a confluence of cultures, right? So here it's different cultures, but there, you know, the Philippines, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, India, China, and then a whole host of people that have worked in Russia or Africa, certainly Europe. And, you know, if you're going to an event or a dinner party and you're not learning something, well, then you're not you're talking too much. Yeah. Um, and that confluence of culture. Right. It, it, it infuses your food. Yeah. Your food infuses your art, your your uh, your fashion and your dinner conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I love Miami like I do. Yeah. Um, But I think it's one of the, it it was one of the things that made our time there a little easier, different
0: cultures, but that's who we are. We like that. Did you, um, were were there any notable uh, faux pas that you, that you can remember where you you culturally just uh, stepped in it? Um. And you can say no. I just was curious. No, I'm to think, i mean,
1: I I can I, for those of, for those listeners of yours that that know that Al Kamen So Al Kamen, uh writes a essentially a gossip column for the Washington Post. Uh-huh. Um, I got in there twice. Uh, one for doing karaoke because <laughs> um, I do like karaoke, um, and the comments were a little like you know this like. This is why you shouldn't have donors or whatever. And you know, everyone who's served in Asia is like, wait a minute, he was doing karaoke in Asia. Yeah. Uh, he, what he, you do? <laughs> uh and and as far as I know, they'd never and this was at a big event, they'd yeah. never seen a US ambassador do that. So I was like, soft power diplomacy, baby. Yeah. Um And then the other thing I got into, got into Cayman's column for was um, I quoted uh, LL Cool J when I was talking about American foreign policy in, uh, in Asia. So uh, good
0: good on you, man. Well,
1: I I, I think it it applied. I was on CNBC (laughs) and I'm not a morning person. uh, And it was like six o'clock in the morning. And uh, they asked me, you know, the, the, so the, 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 the way that the policy was phrased in the first term was called uh, pivot to Asia, and then it was called rebalance to Asia as yeah. it evolved. Um, so it implied, I, I don't think it was very artfully messaged, branded, but so it implied that we had been away yeah. and we're coming back. And the reality is the reason why Asia is what it is today, particularly South and Southeast Asia, but really all of Asia, is the safety and security that American military has provided uh, over the last 70 years in that region I mean it is a, it has kept the sea lanes open it's kept piracy mostly away um, you know even during the Cold War you know Ru- you know we let Russian ships go through as long as they weren't messing around yeah um, and you know other countries don't do that right and so when she said we' You know, so the U.S. is finally turning its attention to Asia. Is that right, Ambassador? And I said, you know, as the great American philosopher says, "Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years."
0: <laughs> and to her credit, she got it. She goes, "Did you just describe American foreign policy by quoting LL?" And I said, "I sure uh, did." You know, I, we we haven't spent a lot of time uh, with each other, but I am, uh, a, a, I, I am a. F- you know, a Facebook fan of yours. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it, why does this not, it just doesn't shock me at all. It's, it's fantastic. You know, like, like, like knowing you through Facebook mostly, I, it, it's not surprising, but it's, it's awesome. How, tell me, uh, let's go to your, um, you, you grew up, uh, was it Toronto? Uh, or? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a town an hour outside of Ottawa. It's, oh, okay. For for those of you
1: who don't know, it is the capital of Canada, but it's, um, town of about five thousand people it's yeah. called Perth, just like the one uh, in australia is we're both named after the one in scotland
0: uh-huh.
1: um and it uh my father was a ship's captain so he uh was home in the winters when things were frozen over but would uh go to the northwest territories which is uh alaska level latitude um for the summers for fishing no. or
0: was no it- he, was,
1: he was basically a truck driver on water he okay. would uh, uh, bring unrefined crude down from the uh, Beaufort sea uh and then take stuff up t- pushed and pulled barges for yeah. his career um my mom was a school teacher and, and, uh, and were you, so,
0: uh were you were you uh like what how would you describe yourself in, in the in your town were you like a jock or, or you know were you part of the did you play hockey were you um i mean of course yeah, but like, uh yeah but no, I yeah, I mean, I I
1: was pretty involved in pretty much everything. I, I played drums in a band when I was in high school, um, uh, played football, hockey, started rugby very early, and I, I stayed with that through uh, law school, actually. I played, played for the University of Miami when I was in law school there. Um, but also I was in the drama club. I was in the Ma U.N. club and all that. Yeah. Um, what really I think changed, and my parents were very open, like, you know, this concept that you don't speak about religion and politics at, uh, at the dinner table.
0: Not at it's your not house. I, yeah. Not how I grew
1: up, right? And uh, I grew up with a, a fairly strong church background. My grandfather and my uncle were both Methodist ministers. Um, but what really kind of changed me was the divestment movement in South Africa over apartheid. And so Ottawa being the capital, that's where the embassy was. And when I was about 14 or 15, um, I went to a bunch of protests. Yeah. And it just subsumed me. It, it just, um, I read everything I could about it. Um, got deeper in the music.
0: Steve Van Zandt, uh, man, right? The, uh, wasn't wasn't he a big leader of the... Uh, and, yeah, uh, but uh, I will tell you, or whatever? I don't know if you've seen the... Um,
1: the The remake that Peter Gabriel just did of Biko, I did. I'm uh-huh. a huge
0: B- Peter Gabriel fan.
1: But yeah. uh, so Biko was a song that changed my life. I yeah. read everything I could about Biko. Obviously, saw the movie with Denzel in it, all that. But read his writings, uh, and then learned about the horrors of you know necklacing, and obviously, yeah. You know, so so that really kind of infused me, and then I went to this very conservative Christian college. It's, it's a it's a long story that I won't bore you with, but the bottom line is in Canada, when I was going up, they've abolished it now, but you graduate in Ontario, you graduate after grade 12. but If you want to go to university, you had to go to grade 13.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, most of my friends were a year older than me. So I graduate from grade 12, all my friends were leaving. And I'm like, I gotta get out of this town. And so my uncle went to this Christian college before he went on to seminary to become a minister. And so I knew they'd accept me late. So instead of going to grade 13, I went there, I got there and I was like, you know what? Uh, American college isn't as hard as even Canadian high school. So I graduated in three years and I did a semester at University of London in England. Um, And so I went to this Christian school, no drinking, no dancing, no swearing, chapel three times a week. And it was my first exposure really to what I felt was a bastardization of my Christian faith Mm -hmm. Um like I, I learned about helping your neighbor and helping the poor and you know all yeah. of those things, you know, you know, what you do to the least of my brother, you do to me. And I got there and there was a meanness to uh, the conservative view of the faith as I understood it. Yeah. So for you know, the two and a half years I was at that college, not including the the semester I was abroad, I mean I was, you know, I was debating, you know, and yeah, all of that. Um, And I think that it caused me to be more firm in my beliefs, challenged me on others. Um, But I'll give you an example. I mean, I am violently anti-death penalty. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can can argue it on the morality, on the deterrence, on the economics. It's something I move deeply. But I did that for three and a half or two and a half years there. Um, and then I applied to law schools all over and University of Miami was silly enough to let me in and here I am
0: there you are 31 years later there you are yeah the um uh the show I re- re- referenced earlier Kenny is about a fictional town of 5000 people in Canada um and uh where the it's a comedy uh where, where there's a basically the hicks versus the skids versus the hockey players but it's it's uh it, it's it's brilliant brilliantly ri- written it's on hulu you should check it out it, you'll I, i'm curious as to what you think about it because it, it sounds like very I, sounds like a place very similar to where you where you grew up you know
1: <laughs> brian you know I, I will say that you know i've been gone from perth for a very long time yeah. but you know i think you know you look at you know the people in your life and a lot of people Um, have their closest friends from college Mm -hmm. or, or law school or your first few years of, of working. My closest friends are my high school friends. Yeah. Uh, There's about five of them that, um, uh, and they run the gamut from a friend of mine who's a, as a big political lobbyist communications guy in Toronto um, to my friend who took over his parents' trucking company to another friend of mine who is very senior in the, uh, in the police in Ontario and of course they ground me, but you know, my, my mother's had some health scares in the last month or so. And, and I know, and I, and I can't travel to Canada without quarantining for right. 14 days. Um, I know that I can depend on them in a way that, you know, as an only child, I mean, it, yeah. it's, you know, it's um, so I feel very blessed. Uh, you know, my wife's from Des Moines, I'm from rural
0: Canada. Yeah. So, you know, I know what you mean. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a small town. I, I mean, I, I traveled. I was bounced around and uh, uh, quite a bit, but um, but most of my formative, you know, my middle school and high school years were 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 in Irvine and not the Irvine that people know today, because back then it was like this. It was orange groves and strawberry fields and this, you know, kind of hyper developed town in the middle of them, um, and two major marine bases. uh, But my but my closest friends uh, remain people I met from high school and, and, and I, it's the same thing, you know, you can, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wild thing to be friends with somebody for 35, 40 years and, you know, and, um, and, and, and what that brings to your life and how it enriches it, you know, for sure. Um, but, but what a contrast living in Miami, uh, versus, <laughs> versus Perth, huh? I mean, well, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you know, the
1: thing is from the minute I came to this country though,
0: yeah. Um,
1: You know, I was always drawn to the US and I think this always pisses off my Canadian friends, but if you want to be relevant, the US is gonna be in every conversation. Sometimes they don't do the perfect thing, um, but I also don't believe that in the history of mankind, there's ever been a greater force for good than the United States of America. And I I saw it in action when I was in the job and certainly more attuned to it, but that's, that's what I believe. But at the same point, Um, while I look very American, um, I have an immigrant's mentality, Mm -hmm. right? Um, because if I wasn't successful, here, like, if I failed the bar, for example, or I didn't get my visa, you know, what am I going to do? Like I'm, I'm, you know,
0: I'm, this is, and you can tell that also, I mean, you, (laughs) what it, you can tell it, it, it kills you to no end that people don't vote. Right. I mean, like like not having been able to vote for some time and, and being involved in politics. I, You know, you're, you're you're you have some epic rants about about voting. Um, what? But but I'll, but I'll tell you what really pisses me off.
1: You know, you said we'd get into the Trump stuff, but yeah. let me explain what to you. So when I left Singapore, my goal was to. Be the Pied Piper for the need for more and more engagement of America and Asia. Right. I'd learned all this stuff thanks to your tax dollars. I worked my ass off. Um, and I do believe the global economy is going to be driven by particularly South and Southeast Asia, so India and ASEAN, for at least the next 20 years, if not longer. Demographics and just the crackle of entrepreneurship there. And America can make a difference and it'll it'll affect the world. And on top of that, the American population that lived in Singapore was probably 80% Republican. Mm-hmm. You know, They're in finance or natural resources like oil. I mean, those are not the core democratic base. Um, and so I really was gonna try to, to, to be a bipartisan policy voice. I was fortunate to, to, to be appointed to the East West Center University of Hawaii's board of directors. I'm currently a fellow at the Atlantic Council on their Asia security project. Um, and you know, that was really what I wanted to do, but the very first weekend we were home, the Muslim ban came into effect. And as an immigrant, knowing what people overseas look to America for, mm-hmm. it was such a denigration. Yeah. Of, I, I mean, I, I, like America will not, would not and did not have the moral authority that it should have had during the Trump presidency because of things like that, Yeah. right? My best friend, best man at my wedding, my son's godfather uh, is Mo Alathy. You may know him. He was a communications director of the DNC for a while. Um, he runs the, he's the director of the Georgetown School of Public Service and Politics. Yeah. Uh, but his, his full name is Muhammad Ali Alathy. Um, He's born in Jersey, raised in Tempe, Arizona, yeah. right? But I, but I, you know, and then you had the Sikh gentleman and I think in Kansas that was shot because people thought he was a Muslim. I mean, it's yeah. so not, you know, I, I know I see all these things, you know, people say this is not who we are, but isn't this really who, the, who we are? And, you know, right. I'm a member of a black family, believe me. I, yeah. I, I uh, the, the scales have fallen off my eyes long ago. Uh, about what we are and what we're not but
0: god it just yeah you know he, he is it repairable is do you think do you think um now that biden's there and that you know we're repealing some of the, the stupidity of our decisions over the last four years um uh, do you think that um the perception uh from uh overseas can can be repaired or, or is that trust going to just take a long time to redevelop
1: well, I used to say during the Trump presidency, the question is whether or not the damage was permanent or not. and I didn't think it was, okay. um, and I still don't. However, um, I do think that until we have two parties that are rationed, um it, it will be hard to trust us long term again, right? Sure. Because, you know, in a parliamentary system, when a new government takes over, you know, things change radically. Our system is supposed to be more slower paced, but what is now the Republican Party um, is not the Republican Party that, you know, I guess grew up with since I got to this country in 1987, right? I mean, where's the Dick Lugers? Where's the Bob Dole's? Where is, you know, um, you know folks like that? Even people who are radically conservative, like
0: Don Nichols and people like that—they were rational. Uh, They were—they were rational on a daily basis, even in their conservatism, right? Yeah, I mean, listen,
1: you know, there's nobody who can look at um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and not realize that not only they're full of shit, they're playing—they're playing to the lowest common denominator with no regard for what happens either domestically or abroad, for raw power, and no, the Republicans that I know. Are pissed off about it but they don't control the party right now and so i worry about that so i worry you, about that.
0: so so one of the things that you're doing now uh, is advising entities uh on how to do business in asia or conversely how to asian entities how to do business in 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 america um how does this lack of stability because we don't have two parties that are that are predictable um at least how does this, how does that inform your advice to them? And maybe I'm asking for things that you give for money, but, 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 <laughs> like, No, I, so,
1: so I think one thing that, you know, so one thing we haven't touched upon was I probably had the most commercial posts in the world, mm-hmm. right? There's 4,600 American businesses that are based in Singapore that do regional work out there. Everything from Harley to Microsoft, to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that our businesses get uh, lectured on country by country is that we don't respect the business culture and traditions or even rhythm of business in their countries. And the irony of that is um, businesses that come here are even less attuned to the differences in our system culturally. And the South is different from the Mountain West, which is different from the Northeast, which is in all of those things. So, so, and and a lot of these places have someone who went to Harvard Business School or MIT or Stanford. So they think they know America. And of course, that's not the America that they are going to be plunged into if they're opening a factory in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is one thing that, you know, when you talk about stability, you know, governors and mayors by and large are very very important um, more so than you know a member of com, uh, com- uh, Congress who's probably not a chairman right um, you know if you're if there's 435 of you and you're like your seniority is that you're like at number 400 right like you can do yeah you know, you know you get on TV like this Lauren Bobbert person or even some people on the Democratic side you can't really do much yeah right uh, Senators are a little different but not much but governors and mayors, um and in some cases school board members um really are the uh the people who do the work and so you know one of the things i i try and tell people i represent a very large canadian pension fund they just did a huge investment in seattle i said you know you guys really should meet the mayor like yeah i mean you don't want anything but the, the point is your first call to someone like that shouldn't be when, you know, one of your employees has a DUI and kill somebody. I mean, like, it, like, it, like have a relationship, right. And if they have a, uh, a um, charity that fits with your priorities, you know, like a lot of these companies have women and girls things. So if they have a women and girls thing, maybe something that you can, you know, you can support, like, yeah, you know, and, and um, so it's things like that. I try and do now in, overseas and it's not just in asia but mostly in asia just because of where i'm from but one of the things i try and help especially SMEs, small and medium companies is understanding what our government does to help businesses overseas Mm -hmm. right um department of commerce has the foreign commercial services which is at almost every single embassy around the world state department has the economic bureau that helps on policy and that's Uh, and
0: and and these the the former is to just help businesses navigate the legal framework and in those. Areas. Some of that, okay. Some of it is to find a, a qualified distributor. Um, some of it is so
1: Singapore, for example, is kind of the biggest of of Asia in a sense of all the trade shows are there. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would do that most ambassadors, I guess, didn't was I would walk the floors uh, and stop at American booths and say, "Hey, you know, how are you doing? Is, is the commerce department helping you meet with possible?" Yeah. Uh, customers, or you need a distributor out here, these guys know who they are. So, here's a dirty little secret about embassies. So, my, my commercial services was about 15 people, pretty large one because of what we did. Four of them were American diplomats that rotate through every three, four, five years, depending on mm-hmm. the tour. The rest of them are Singaporeans. And these are like the, the guy who handled the aerospace account for us had been doing it for 25 years. And Singapore has one of the most major air shows in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, in 2014, it was the second most uh, most deal signed by American businesses of any air show, bigger than Paris, bigger than uh, Farmsborough in the UK. It was a biggie. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the kind of thing. But at those at those um, trade shows, so, so for example, in Florida, our Department of Commerce got commercialized or privatized a few years ago so we have enterprise florida here so enterprise florida generally speaking will have a booth at these bigger shows and bring small companies from florida to attend these shows and help them with meetings so like that's that's what i that's what i i I try and evangelize about right yeah
0: um a few more questions uh so well first in your current business do you um is it more Asians looking to do business in the United States or more, more uh, uh, Americans looking to do business overseas? Is what's, do you have a, a primary focus or is it? So? Say, I mean, it's just how it's evolved.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, to, to be blunt, I think that um, I'm getting more calls from overseas, not just Asia, mm-hmm. um, because of the change administration. And folks know, you know, that, that you we have people- a lot of friends there yeah. that are doing God's work yeah um but it kind of ebbs and flows i mean we we represent tesla in in asia and it goes everything from helping them with dealing with the policy issues in singapore where their rules and regulations are behind technology which is unusual for them Mm -hmm. um to helping them um really look at some of the other markets that they weren't thinking about and using the AmCham system, American the American Chamber of Commerce system, the, the embassy system, and try and target, like, do they go to Jakarta or Ho Chi Minh City or Kuala Lumpur, right? I yeah. mean, so uh, my former number two at the embassy, the deputy chief of mission, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he had 40 years in the State Department and worked with me for for uh 3 years retired and uh retired to Singapore so I was very fortunate that he works with me there so we kind of have uh two legs of a stool
0: and uh it's a lot of fun would you ever do it again would you ever go if, the, if if you 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 were one of the first people on the uh Kamala uh for for president uh uh, uh campaign uh, that I knew of and and uh um you it must have been a thrill to see her on the ticket and a, and a bigger thrill to win, but but bottom line is is that you know she knows you and and, and so does the and, and so does the president. I'm sure. Um, would would if they called and said, hey, we you know we'd like you to like you to take this post. Would you would you do it again? Would you be an ambassador again?
1: Um, right now the timing isn't right, but if yeah. there was a need, you know, you'd have to consider it, right? Yeah. Um, but.
0: Let's just say I hope we don't get that call. Gotcha. Uh, for for a while. You like uh, you like you like what you're doing now and, and well, your, my, my your life my, is is you know my, my son is just finishing up
1: ninth grade. Yeah. Uh, I was with I was without him on a daily basis for four years. Yeah. Um I don't think I will do anything until he's off to college. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it uh I can't get that time back, but we try. Uh and I'm very, very close with him. So, you know, thank God for, uh, you know, it was Google Hangouts when I was over there, but I I spoke to him almost every single day uh, to say goodnight, um, because that was morning there. I'd get up, I'd call him and then start my day. Yeah. Um, So that that would be one thing. And, you know, every administration is different and it probably would have been easier for me to get a position in 09 than it was in 13 because most of Obama people were not in a position to uproot their lives, and so a lot of the people who served in the first term of Obama, not not in his circle, not in the White House, but in the agencies. Yeah, a lot of people who've been around but weren't necessarily um, with him in the primary, and that's fine. So it's okay. Um, in the second term, though, I mean, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty old school Obama folks uh, in the second term. Gotcha. Now you've got President Biden, who has 36 years in the Senate, a lot, most of it on the Foreign Relations Committee. Um, he doesn't need my advice on who to pick on foreign policy. Tony Blinken is one of the greatest people I've ever met. He and his wife, Evan, I worked with Evan. She was, uh, mm-hmm. she was a, I think, assistant secretary uh, in the State Department, um, public diplomacy when I was uh, working in Singapore. Just fabulous people. I mean, I can go through the list. Yeah. Uh, but I am. But to your point, I mean, Kamala has uh, been a friend for a long time, um, and I I thank my wife for that. Um, she was the district attorney for San Francisco, running for attorney general, was running third, and a friend of Crystal's asked her if she would do a fundraiser for her um, when she was running. And Crystal asked me if I would go. We were dating at the time. And I was like, nah, I'm not. Like, nah. Uh, and it was like one of these sad little fundraisers at a law firm or on a conference room, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was, it was was the hard shoe leather part of it. Yeah. And people said, listen, um, Kamala uh, wants to go get some meat. Why don't you meet us for dinner? And she was just the funniest, smartest, more down-to-earth person I've ever seen. And then, of course, We then once you're in you're in so we supported her for for further on attorney general she got that did a fantastic job um she was asked to serve as the attorney general after holder left said she wasn't finished her job in california ran for senate Mm -hmm. um we helped her there and uh you know her and her husband doug doug's become a very good friend Mm -hmm. i mean you know, I try and explain to folks, I mean, you know, listen, I, I know a lot of these people. I've met most of them that, you know, over the years, it just happens, right? It's not, it's nothing. Again, it's the Forrest Gump thing. Now, like, wow, I'm awesome. But she's, she's just she's just us, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I mean, so, so I'm very excited she's there. Um, and I'm very happy with, uh, I mean, despite us supporting Kamala in the primaries wholeheartedly, um, it is impossible to not look at this administration and this president and say he is the right man for this moment in history for the sure. right person for this
0: moment for sure so let's talk about one more uh politician and and that is uh crystal uh she she recently was that her first political campaign that 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 she ran as a candidate yeah as a candidate as a, yeah, yeah. Yep. and uh um how was it uh I mean, you've been, again, part of many campaigns, big and small. Uh, how is it to be part of a, can- a campaign uh, that involves your spouse? And, uh, and how is that different for you uh, as, as a quasi consultant? You must have, you know, <laughs> must have been uh, different.
1: Um, <laughs> no one's asking that question, yet, by the way. Uh, at times it was absolutely awful um absolutely awful um, and at the same time and certainly sense um, i happen to believe my wife is the best natural politician i've ever seen because she has no idea she's being political because she just likes people mm-hmm. um, you know crystal is the first person first african-american elected to miami shores village council um, of african uh, african-american descent in the 89 year history of, of it. And the the custom here is whoever wins the most votes becomes mayor. Mm-hmm. And the most I believe the highest turnout that Miami Shores had ever had before Crystal ran was 1400. Um, and there were four slots open. So there were seven candidates and you can vote for up to four people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our turnout was 2100. And Crystal was on 68.6% of every ballot cast out of seven people. Wow. Um, she's very special. And I've watched her first before the pandemic and then after what she's, you know, the local government's tip of the spear. Yeah.
0: How long? How long is her term?
1: She's done in two weeks. She's done in two weeks. Oh, wow. So so she was elected to a four year term, Uh but you're only mayor for the first two years. And then there's a new election on April 13th. Okay. Um, And whoever is the top vote getter uh, probably will become the mayor. That's not what our charter says, but Uh
0: that's just practice. So she's running again, though. Right. No, oh, she's, 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 got two more, she's got two more years on the village council. She's not mayor anymore. I got you. And, and um, is there interest in uh, higher office at some point, perhaps?
1: Um, well, there's people who have interest in her, I will yeah. tell you. Okay. Uh, she, she was heavily recruited to uh, think about some things coming up um, for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which is that you know we have a four four and a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. uh the timing wasn't right um she puts her whole heart into this yeah and body and mind and um there are times where you know she she feels what she's missing um and also she you know she has an active practice herself she's a a, a government lawyer mm-hmm. 20 years of experience yeah uh, so and she has a pretty interesting history I and mean, she was uh chief policy aide and then chief of staff for Jimmy Morales uh, when he was on the county commission. Um, she, so
0: yeah, she's got a lot of things she can do. Um, but she's also knowing what she, she knows what she'd be getting. She'd be getting into, uh, yes. in this regard and yeah. What was that- got a lot? Of, we got a lot of
1: calls from DC, yeah. uh, right after the last election. And, uh, she, she, she considered it because as I said, it's like what you asked about would, would I serve again? It's you, you gotta listen, but yeah, um it's not my decision to make but yeah i will tell you on the consultant stuff there was a couple of times where um it was not helpful being the husband and someone with a political opinion
0: (laughs) and someone who knows like the best political consultants in the country i don't know like did she have like the traditional array of political consultants on this thing or no i mean not
1: <laughs> really um I, I, we're very proud i'm sure you know cedric McMinn. um cedric uh you know worked on the obama campaign all those things he started his own uh campaign shop and crystal was his first client um and uh he's he's, he's, he's fantastic yeah um but i'll give you i'll give you one story so crystal went to this meeting um it was the former democratic club meeting i think i couldn't go i might have been traveling and so somebody who lived in miami shores for literally 50 years says well you know this i was looking you know so and so is going to win this that and the other and crystal you're running seventh out of seven you've got no shot yeah. and my wife came back and she was like i said i'm not trying to run be first but i mean yeah you know um
0: but that's always the case, right? I mean, how yeah, many there's people? There's always somebody that you know that that thinks are convention, their experience, experiencing conventional wisdoms, uh, a, uh, um, a a sure lock on the future. And but, know, but my yeah. wife busted her ass, right? I yeah. mean, she
1: knocked on more doors than anybody I think that's ever ran for anything up here. Yeah, and you know, and, and as you know, that matters. And uh, anyway, so well, I'm glad that one's over. Uh, <laughs> whatever she, whatever she decides. Uh, I'll be supportive it's uh, it's nice uh, you know it's funny we sometimes talk about she went from being the ambassador's wife to I'm now the first gentleman of Miami Miami Shore that's great yeah
0: at least for a couple more weeks well two more quick questions one is how I have to ask you about the fashion because you're arguably the best dressed uh, uh, in I mean I know a lot of people in politics and I've never seen somebody with the fashion that you have where did that come from right and can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, My, well, <laughs> I, I desperately, I <laughs> desperately in need of help. I I have mastered like you know uh, lazy surfer chic, you know. But but we without all without, without, without being a surfer, you know. Um, where where, then, did this, where uh, does, was that a lifelong thing? Is that something that came out of just being in Miami and and always always? I mean, I,
1: you know, I'd be in this rural. Town wearing you know pink uh, Ralph Lauren pants that I pulled up and wearing Sperry topsiders uh, yeah. well, with with pop collar back in the eighties and, and it was you know and, was that
0: yeah. just I mean was that something your friends I mean it had to come from somewhere right was it
1: well, I mean I, you know I, I think that
0: most I mean I, the question is did they influence
1: me or did we gravitate to each other I you know I mean yeah um, people all the time we'll say to Crystal, it's like, well, you've got him dressed. He's like, no, 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 I'm with him because this is how he dressed, Right. Like, like, you know, it's it's always a question, but I think it's just, it's like a hobby. Well, it's the need to be an individual and express yourself. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, if, if, if I had more talent, I'd be a painter or a singer or whatever, but this is how I express myself. And I like fun. Um, There was one store that used to have, profiles of their customers and mine was um, high end fun. Yeah. So, so if it's something <laughs> a little wacky and believe me, I've, I've made some questionable choices and some, some, some don't hold up uh, oh. over time. Uh, but I think, I think right. just being fun. And, and the one thing I used to love in politics, Brian, that, you know, you go to these national finance committee meetings in DC generally, and everyone's wearing a charcoal suit with a yellow tie, yeah and and you know monochromatic socks and really boring shoes and you know yeah we'd roll, we'd roll in and you know before crystal after crystal you know i remember one time people going miami's here i'm like yes i am yeah. yes I
0: am, yeah you know it's just i, I my my father is it was more like you an excellent dresser you know would would outshine the doctors that he was selling to and, and you know often and and in that regard and it, it, it's just a um a, a muscle that i did not inherit you know, and I mean, I, the two things that you have—you can play drums, and and uh, I, I, I can play other instruments, but I can, but but I can't play drums, and I can't seem to just f- fig I, I need a stylist, Kirk. I just well, uh, I think I, think, <laughs>
1: I don't want to overstate my drumming skills either. I mean, it, it, it's pretty humble. My son just turned fifteen.
0: Yeah, but
1: probably two years ago, he surpassed my best day. Yeah, now are you still trying? I haven't played I I haven't played in a while. Um, uh, but my son is incredibly talented. Yeah. Incredible. Um, but it's 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 humbling when like a 13 year old is just killing you. Yeah, I hear you. Now, if you could pick better music, I'd be pretty. I don't need to hear Tool anymore. Right. Wh- I, what I what need- what, are we,
0: what are we listening? What what, what is in your uh, wheelhouse? Like, what's your? Uh, you mentioned Peter Gabriel earlier. What's do you have? Yeah, I, mean,
1: I, I I generally skew to. You know the, the the comfortable ones. I mean, my yeah. wife and I watched the Grammys, and we had a list of people we wanted to to listen to. But I mean, yeah, listen. You know, I I vacillate between. I, I can listen to Tribe or Roots all day. Um, uh, I have a LL Cool J Pandora station that that cycles through that that yeah. genre. G. But on the other side, I listen to a lot of Ben Folds, um, you two and I need to. But yeah, there's. There's nothing that, uh, and also like some obscure stuff like Pothouse Flowers and John yeah. uh, Hyatt. But, you know, I really need uh, something to, for me to be in my head. I'm going to listen to uh Les Mis soundtrack.
0: Gotcha. Well, I, not to cross pr- promote myself, but, um, but uh, earlier podcasts, uh, the drum, you might like the drummer from Interpol, Sam Fogarino. Uh, oh, I love Interpol. Oh yeah. If you yeah. love Interpol, you have to listen to this, uh, uh, and he's from Miami. He was part of the Miami Miami rock scene. Uh, the Holy Terrors uh, was was his band prior. About um, did that and uh, a guy named Matt Pond is uh, we're we're putting out this uh, this next week, and uh, so we'll have to. I'll, I'll send you some links, but you have to check it out. Uh, Ambassador Kurt Wagner, thank you so much for uh, for uh, being so generous with your time today, and and uh, um, and. Uh, just a a really fascinating, I could go on for another hour, but, um, but I appreciate uh, uh, you coming on and, and hopefully we'll talk again. I appreciate it very much, Brian. Thanks so much.